0: One subject that has been in the front page of the papers lately has had to do with checks and balances and uh, who has what power in our government. But where that concept comes from is a matter of ancient American history, so to speak. And I have invited my good friend Fabian Carbajo, who teaches political science and government at both the college and, and high school level. To come. He had a fun project with his students teaching Federalist number 51. Some of you may not know what that is, but you're going to find out. Baby, and welcome to Freedom's Ring, my friend.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: So, first of all, the Federalist Papers give us the context for Federalist 51. What were they? Why were they written? So, first of all, the
1: Federalist Papers were written by three authors that we know of. Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, who is considered to be the father of the U.S. Constitution, and John Jay. There were a bunch of articles arguing for a strong central government, among other things, and then they were compiled into a book known as the Federalist Papers. The two most important Federalist Papers written by James Madison were the Federalist Number 10, where he argued about factions and how to control factions and what is the difference between a democracy and a republic, and then Federalist Number 51, which lays out the structure for a government that has three branches and uh, it introduces the principle of checks and balances in which not one branch of government will have power over the other branches of government. It is very short, um, just a couple of pages really, and this is where Madison really argues about why we need a strong central government.
0: Well, but he's really arguing here about the need for checks and balances, right? That's correct. And um, these days, it seems as though many Americans are would be very happy with what's come to be known as the imperial presidency. You know, we want somebody who will shake things up and get things done and we're less concerned about the rules. We want the government to be able to do what we want and not be uh, too, too hampered by the wheels of government, right? The deep state, right. if you will, or all these rules.
1: So, so the Federalist 51 introduces the idea of majority rules with minority rights. And so the founding fathers were very concerned about mob rule after Shay's rebellion. The idea that a very few people could muster, you know, if they had guns, then they had power, right? And it wasn't necessarily the thinkers or the writers or the philosophers or the founders that could use force to will their, their values and their principles upon the people. So the concern here is how can we check that? How can we? What system can we create so that there isn't a mob, while at the same time we limit the power that the government has upon individual rights? So if you give the majority Mm -hmm. what they want, they'll be happy. But you also got to be concerned about the minority so that you don't have uprisings and you don't have people that are upset.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking this over. It's been a long time since I've read it, And, and it's absolutely brilliant. You know, the most famous quote from this is, if angels, uh, uh, let's see, now, if men were angels, angels." yeah, I'm missing the quote, but go ahead, then we wouldn't need a government, right? Right. Um, If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary, is one thing that he says. Yeah, but, uh, I don't think any of, uh, my listeners are under the illusion that those governing our nation are angels. And I don't think right. that depends upon what political party, uh, you know, you favor. Our politicians are not angels. And, uh, I like this line here where he says, you know, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed and in the next place oblige it to control itself. Um, right. Yeah. Achieving that balance is so difficult. So you had a good time, found a a way to teach this to your students, right?
1: Right. And what I found, Alan, is that it's so relevant right now that I'm teaching this to high school students who are advanced, right, who have some context, some knowledge. I'm teaching it to regular students who don't have any context for this document. And I'm teaching it to college students. And what I found was that every single one of those levels, it was a relevant document. It was engaging. It made people think. It gave us wonderful discussions. And the current events were also very, very helpful. And so this is a document that was written 231 years ago as of last Friday. So why is a document that is that old still so relevant today is what I asked myself. And it kind of stood out. And did you answer the question? I did. And what I found is that anyone who's paying attention understands that there are some branches of government at the moment who are testing the limits of our governmental structure. They're testing the limits of what each branch of government was designed to do. They're testing the limits of how far they can go. Uh, what if I use you know the last resort, like a government shutdown? What's gonna happen? Nothing, okay. Let's use another last resort. Let's use a national crisis, a national emergency. So what's mm-hmm. the next card that's gonna be pulled by the executive, and how can the other branches of government um you know check that? So before I even knew that sixteen states had sued the Trump administration over the national crisis. Several students asked, can a state sue the federal government? They saw that right from the document. They said, is there a structure for a state to sue the national government? And we had not even covered that or talked about that. But based on current events and based on what they read from Federalist 51, they kind of saw that as a need, right? Will the courts stop what is going on? Which branch of government will check the other? And that's what right. they read from it, and it was a wonderful well, thing to see.
0: This whole principle of checks and balances, you know, I, I'm not a fan of those who are critical to bureaucracy. They call the bureaucracy the deep state and, uh, you know, criticize it because we do have departments that have specific goals, regulatory goals and purposes. And, you know, literally hundreds of thousands, several millions working for our government at, at all the different levels of government, you know, to carry out various tasks to serve our nation. And you don't just come in and tell people to stop doing what they are charged with doing. We have checks and balances. You know, Congress is the one that has the power of the purse and, uh, you know, votes these funding bills. And the executive branch has uh, power to approve or to veto these bills, but not simply to unilaterally ride roughshod over it. Each branch has its its role to play, and, and yes, when there are disputes, the courts also have a role to play in resolving those disputes. But I think the key for me here, Fabian, is how Madison understood that the checks and balances were the key to protecting individual
1: rights, both civil rights
0: and religious rights. Right.
1: He was concerned about minorities, uh, in particular religious minorities, that had been persecuted even during the, the time of the founding, the time of the republic, the time of the revolutionary period in America. So there is a concern for protecting minorities regardless of how unpopular their views might be. And that's in the document, that's, that's in there. right. because, because
0: if I understood the, the, the majority would be protected because they had the power of the majority in a democracy, it was the minority whose rights were at
1: risk. That's correct. And one way to protect you know, this is what I love, and this is how uh, Federalist 51 is connected to Federalist number 10, where he talks about factions, one way to control factions to have a large republic. You know, in a small country where the population is very small, you will have the same people, the same oligarchs and the same plutocrats who will control the means to production, the means to employment, the economy entirely. But in a large republic, the solution to bad ideas isn't a mob. The solution to bad, uh, you know, principles and bad implementation and inefficient governmental ideas. The solution to that is better ideas. And in a large republic, you have a lot of competition, right? For every Donald Trump, there is a Bernie Sanders. For every Bernie Sanders, there's going to be a more moderate uh, Democrat or a moderate Republican. So we essentially have all of these different sides tugging at each other, and people can decide what is the best course of action. And I think Madison would say that the more. The more difference in ideas, the more diversity that we have in ideas, the better off that the country will be. That's how a raw democracy works. Well, certainly,
0: you know, his concept of free speech and religious freedom protecting kind of the broadest marketplace of ideas, really, I think Madison was the one who who really brought that to, to bear in uh, American political thought. Is that correct?
1: Future. That is correct. I will say this, uh, you know, we've talked about how great this document is. I do want to address some of the criticisms. And a student brought up last night in my college class that uh, she sensed a little bit of hypocrisy from this document, the Federalist Number 51. Because on the one hand, Madison is saying we need checks and balances and we need you know, we need to control the power of the power structure itself. We can't let it turn into a monster that cannot be controlled. But at the same time, this student believed that this structure would only benefit the elites regardless. And by the elites, she didn't mean the majority of the people who wanted something. She meant the people who are in power, right? So in a sense, you can have a two-party system, Democrats and Republicans, and the people who are in power will love a checks and balance system as long as they get what they want when they don't get what they want they will tinker with it they will mess with it they will try to change opinion they will try to change the information flow they will try to influence the media and all of these things we have seen happen in the past several years so there is a level of there is a level of hypocrisy where You know, the government still has uh, power, even if it's checking itself, and the people might not have a lot of recourse until the next election or until something drastic happens.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not sure that Madison can be charged properly with hypocrisy here. He's, you know, framing the structure for uh, how imperfect human beings can somehow restrict accumulation of power to you know to minimize the risk that people's rights would be trampled and uh, of course that's a goal we we certainly share I hate to say it Fabian that we're out of time this has been a wonderful discussion of Federalist number 51 with my friend in college and high school history professor Fabian Carvajal.
1: thank you so much for having me I had a good
0: time this has been freedom's ring as we close Remember here at Freedoms Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination, especially at the workplace. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. And you can listen to Freedoms Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedoms Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reino. Until next week. Let freedom ring.